much for coming. Um, so, so there's so there's lots to discuss, and um, I think they're just the, the 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 material that that I came across this week that uh, Hashem just blessed me was 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 kind enough to 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 open my eyes to uh, is is really for me anyway very personally inspiring and and, and very very strong. And it, it touches upon really how God runs the world uh, in in the most amazing of ways, and it connects very much to uh, the holiday that's taking place this Thursday night to Purim. Good Purim. Good Purim. <laughs> All right, we'll tie that in also. <laughs> so everything connects. So so speaking of everything connecting. I'll tell you something, and uh, I'm just going to just introduce a concept to you and uh, tell you the truth. I don't really understand it completely myself, but it's very deep, and it's worth just kind of being familiar with it, okay? So after I tell you, we'll both be equal experts on the subject, <laughs> okay? So, so right now we're in the, the, uh, the, the month of Adar. Adar is it's the last month of the year. You know, a lot of people, this is a, a separate subject, but just to, to let you know, there's sort of like a common misunderstanding about the month of Tishrei, where Rosh Hashanah is. A lot of people think that Rosh Hashanah is the first month of the year. But Rosh Hashanah, because that's where the Jewish New Year is. Believe it or not, the Jewish New Year happens in the middle of the Jewish year. It's a very, it's a very fascinating sort of like paradox. But basically the idea is, if uh, we can just sort of cut to the chase on this, because it's not really our topic right now, but the idea is that you can bring newness even right when you're in the middle of something. A lot of people get to the middle of their lives. They say, I'm done. <laughs> it's over. You know, I'm just watching the clock right now. You know, so, so Judaism comes to tell you, no, every single moment, you might be right in the middle. Happy New Year. It's like, let's celebrate the New Year. Let's celebrate the newness, the beginning right now, no matter what stage in the process that you're in. So that's what that's coming to teach us. Okay, so a lot of people think that if, if, if Tishrei is happening in if Rosh Hashanah, if the New Year is happening in Tishrei, that must be the beginning of the year, which means that the month right before Tishrei, which is Elul, that must be the last month of the year. That's how most people think, but it's not the case. The first month of the year is Nisan. That's when Pesach happens, because that's the month of absolute miracles. Okay, open miracles. God begins the subject of time, with the introduction of the concept of miracles. God says, you want to you wanna know how I run the world? Miracles. That's how I do it. Nothing's hard for me. I don't have to defeat nature. Nature works for me. It's all one. It's all one. But that means that if Nisan is the first month of the year, that means that Adar is the last month of the year. So that's where we are right now. So now listen to this concept. Very, very... Uh, very deep idea comes from the Sefer Yitzira, which uh, our sages tell us was written by Abraham Avinu, and this is like, you know, the Sefer Yitzira is the deepest. I mean, it's like it, it predates the Zohar. It's 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 like deep, 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 deep. It's got all the secrets of of the universe in it, basically. So so they talk about a house and a structure, and they say, and again, please forgive me because I don't pretend to understand what this means, but it. Uh, we know just enough that, that, that it's worth saying. 
that that a structure has 12, like a rectangle, like this world is like a house, a structure, a box, a rectangle, has this idea of 12 sides connected to each other. Again, I don't know how this works exactly, but there's this concept of 12, and they're all touching each other, including the diagonals and things like this. I'll try to look into it a little bit more, but understand this though, this we can get from it, which is that the essential structure of nature has to do with this number 12. And in fact, we see that there are 12 months to the year, and we see that there are 12 tribes um, of the Jewish people, which is sort of like these archetypes for all humanity. And we also have the notion of these 12 human faculties, which all correspond one for each month, which need fixing and have their time of ideal fixing. So Adar, which is the 12th month, is tapping into this notion of the entire structure and is therefore touching on, on the way the entire system works. Because the system is based on this number 12, and this is the 12th month. Okay, like I say, it's much deeper than that, but that's understand just now that we're in a month that's connecting to the blueprint of everything. That much, that much we can get at least from this, okay? Now listen to this. What is the, what is the human faculty that corresponds to the month of Adar that needs to be fixing? So there are different accounts of this, but the most reliable uh, accounts really are, are, are the systems according to the, the Ari and to the Vilna Gon, and both of them agree that what needs fixing in the month of Adar is this Mida, this quality of laughter. Okay? So laughter is connecting somehow, somehow the essence of laughter is connecting to the structure of the entire system. Okay, so we have to figure out exactly what is laughter, what is the essence of laughter, why do we laugh, how does this connect with the way God runs the world, how does this connect with Purim, okay, we have to figure out all of these things. Now, I have to tell you right now that I'm basing most of what I'm saying right now on the words of Rabbi Moshe Shapiro, and I feel incredibly privileged to be able to be learning his words. He's one of the top, top, top thinkers uh, in the world today, and his, uh, his weekly lectures are one of the most popular lectures in, in, in all of Israel, and they just started publishing his, his thoughts, uh, the weekly lectures. So these are now available, so, so it's, it's extraordinarily deep. I mean, this is like genius-level stuff, and uh, the, way I, the way I think about it is, um, you know, uh, those of you who have studied a little bit of astronomy, there are certain stars that they, they, they collapse in and on themselves. Um, I believe they're called dwarf stars. And uh, I read in, a, I think this was in high school or maybe it was college, I don't remember exactly, but a teaspoon of one of these stars, I mean, they're so dense that a teaspoon weighs billions of pounds. Okay? So, so that's what, how I feel when, when, when I'm learning people like Rabbi Shapiro, Rabbi Wolfson, people like this. Like these thoughts, if you could weigh them in a teaspoon, I mean, they're so dense. They're, they're billions of pounds. I mean, they're really, you know, you can really... Anyway, you can't get them all at once, but it, it, it pays to, just to go over them and to think about them and to really try to internalize them and everything like that. But we'll, we, you know, like I say, every... 
journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step so we'll we'll take that single step today together <coughs> okay so what is what is laughter so laughter is built on and I can tell you as I can speak as a professional here because I write comedy for a living so I can tell you that this is true this is not just from a, an academic textbook laughter is based on reversal sharp sudden reversal you expect one thing and another thing comes and you laugh right the classic thing is someone with a tuxedo right looks very important and the next thing you know he gets a pie in his face well what's a pie doing in this important person's face you laugh right because you never put those two things together okay and the sharper and the faster the reversal the bigger the laugh usually and so a lot of times in terms of constructing comedy or whatever it is you, you build a system where, 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 the, where the changeover is, is unexpected but, 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 but it makes sense but it makes sense in other words like um, it can't come from out of nowhere it's got to be logical because otherwise you're just confused and as I learned in terms of one of the first lessons I learned in terms of comedy writing is that confusion is the enemy of humor because if have you ever ever had a joke explained to you right after you have the joke explained to you do you ever laugh <laughs> you go oh, oh yeah yeah right 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 yeah because <laughs> you know? the sharpness the sharpness is gone you got to get it you got to get it and okay so it's got to make sense it's got to make sense but it's a reversal it's a fast reversal okay so now Rabbi Shapiro says something very very interesting he says he uses or the translator here uses the word inversion I I, I would use the word um, sudden change or, or flipping over okay but if I use the word inversion you know that um, I'm, I'm addressing the same concept okay so let me give you the two key words of Purim which is it says benafahu okay that's how you say it in Hebrew it got flipped over that's how that's the language of, of the Megillah everything got flipped over okay so so Rabbi Shapiro says something very interesting he says that that this flipping over is not change it's not change now let's 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 try to understand what that means in other words when a situation reverses okay it's not that the situation has been changed in other words there was something that wasn't there before and now it got changed and now it's there I don't know that we're communicating yet in other words in other words uh, here maybe maybe uh, I don't know if this would be a very good example but imagine you're making a recipe okay and the recipe seems like oh that would taste that would taste terrible that would taste terrible right so um, so you know what you do you add an extra ingredient now it tastes very good okay so that that's not what we're talking about in other words that would constitute change because it's something different from what it was before okay 
So now let me give you an example. You take that same thing, let's say it's some, let's say it's cold chicken soup, right? So you taste cold chicken soup. No one's going to want cold chicken soup, right? But you take that exact same thing, you haven't altered anything. It's the exact same ingredients, and you heat it up. Oh, this is delicious. Can I have some more of this? You understand? You understand the difference? In one situation, the essential, the essential components of it were altered, were changed, new things were added or taken away. In the other situation, which is the situation that we're talking about right now, it's the exact same thing. It just was flipped over. Okay? So that's what we're talking about. In other words, the way, the way change, this type of change works in reality is God takes the exact situation and He, without adding anything, without, He just changes the circumstances and that bad thing turns into a good thing. So the classic example is the curses of Bilaam. So Bilaam was like his master cursor, right? And King Balak says, okay, you're like, you're the man because the power of the Jews comes from prayer, which comes from the, the, the throat, the, the, the voice, the ability to express these things from the deepest aspects of your soul. So, so, so Moshe, Rabbeinu, like, he, he prays, so we need someone who can speak like that and counteract it. We need a master at cursing. Right? So they bring Bilaam in, and Bilaam, every time he opens his mouth to give one of these, like, specialty curses, right? Because he knew, like, he knew God's timetable and things like that and knew the exact moment when to utter these words. That's what the sages say. So what happened was, here comes the master cursor, and he opens up his mouth, and blessings come out. Same person, same intentions, but all of a sudden these blessings come out. And he's not happy with it too, by the way. He goes, ah, you know. <laughs> he can't stand it. Some of our biggest, most treasured prayers, we say them every single day, come from these moments when Bilaam is getting ready to curse the Jewish people, and out come the blessings. And it's great too, you know, just to watch it as just a study in, in, as a study in frustration. It's just great to read the, the, the account of Bilaam because he goes like this. And Balak, you know, who's his partner, you know, who's hiring him. The two of them are working together and they're trying to fix it. They go, okay, well maybe we have to offer some more animals. Or maybe let's offer some animals over here to the left, you know? Like when you can just see the part of the Jewish people who maybe aren't behaving so well. Maybe we just focus on them or something like that. So they, they try every which way, but it, it, it fails every time. In fact, listen to this. One of the most amazing things, just while we're on the subject, is that uh, the clearest reference to Mashiach, to the holy Jewish Redeemer, right, which uh, signals the fixing and perfection of the world itself, comes from one of these occasions, comes from Bilaam himself. And it makes sense, it makes sense, and we're going to get into it a little bit more in a few minutes, because this notion of the perfection of the world is going to be this type of flipping over, this type of nafuchu, right? So it makes sense that the revelation of this truth came from a person who himself was having this flipping over happening to him when he was trying to say something bad and only something good was coming out. In other words, they, they, they parallel. They're, they're, they're structural analogs, if you will. 
Okay. Haven't said that since high school. Um, <laughs> I don't remember, but I'm sure the teacher said, why are you saying this in the margin? <laughs> Who are you kidding? Uh, okay, so, so anyway. Um, so now, now, now Rabbi Shapiro says something truly great. Truly, truly great. All right, we're so used to saying the Shema, so so that's the, you know, that's the essence of 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 the the Torah viewpoint boiled down to one sentence, right? Shema Israel, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Listen, Israel. Uh, God, our God, God who is our God. God is one. He is the the one, the only power in existence. Okay. So, so we're all very familiar with it. We say it twice a day. We say it. It's, so it's supposed to be the last words you say before you go to sleep. And there's a custom not to uh, speak after you say it. And if you do speak, say it again. In fact, there's a custom that there's supposed to be the last words on your lips before you leave this world. Right? It's very, very strong. Very, very strong. The Shema. So, but let's hear the Rashi on Shema. Okay? So Rashi... The great commentator is going to kind of cut through maybe a lot of the personal attachment to these words and, um, and the emotion behind them. And he's going to give you just the straight intellectual reading on what it, what it means. Okay? Obviously it means a lot more than this, but let's just get kind of like the, kind of like the, 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 the straight take on it. Okay? So Shema Yisrael. Listen Israel. Hear Israel. Hashem Elokeinu. God is our God now. In other words, in terms of world history, Hashem Elokeinu. Right now, Hashem is just our God. The world doesn't wholly recognize Hashem as God. Maybe they have a concept of Hashem and they call Him by a different name and have different practices in serving Him. We're not really talking about that right now. Hashem as we know Him, Hashem as it's been... As, as, as he himself has taught us is not really recognized by the entire world yet he's just Elokeinu he's just our God right now but now let's finish the Pasuk Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad Hashem is one that's how it ends in the future the entire world will come to see him as the one as the only power in existence that everything else not a power only God only Hashem that's in the future Hashem Echad that's in the future now listen to this okay because now we're going to get much deeper the prince is a little bit small here Um, so Rashi continues on after he says that he says he says for then I shall change the nations to speak a clear language. All right. Now listen to to the to the words in Hebrew. It says ki az efel. See, I'm going to flip it over. This efel is the same word as nafachu. It's going to be a flipping over. Right. So now now we're going to get to now we're going to get to the essence. I think 
of, of what Rabbi Shapiro is saying and this is really quite amazing he says you know the way God runs the world he says the way God runs the world is one second it's one way the next moment it's another way I chose just saying it an incredible thing an incredible thing and that's why this is happening this is me talking right now but I believe that this is what he was alluding to that's why this lesson is being taught to us in the month of Adar because Adar which is the 12th month which is touching on the structure of the entire universe this thought that the way God runs the world is with sudden reversals that's why it's happening right now not that listen very carefully not that this event of Purim this holiday happened to have occurred in this month thousands of years ago so we're commemorating it in this month no this essential essence these mechanics of the way God conducts creation it's embedded in time itself it's part of the fabric of time itself and this is when it happens this is the capital of it so this is where the miracle occurred remember something you've got to keep this in mind if you, if you want to understand the Purim story which is Purim happened during the, the holiday of Pesach right a lot of people just they think Purim they think Adar it must have happened like right now it didn't it was Pesach time in Shushan the three-day fast happened during the Purim Seders. An incredible thing. You know, if I were there, I would have said, I would have said, listen, there's a decree that's going to be, uh, that all the Jews in the world basically are going to get wiped out. So you know what we've got to do? We've got to make sure really to have excellent Shmur Matzahs. I'm being very serious right now. We've got to make sure to keep the details of the Seder so carefully because the redemption will come through the careful observance of the mitzvahs of the Seder. And by the way, anytime we have a Seder, we always have to observe it very carefully and follow all the halachas. That goes without saying. However, what did they say? What did they say? They said, you know something? Let's fast during the Seders. Not eat the matzah? Matzah is a mitzvah der That's a Torah commandment to eat the matzah. You're going to try to gain favor with God? By, by, by not even keeping the matzahs that he asked you to, to eat at that moment what was their logic their logic is if there are no Jews left who's going to keep the Torah all of us are going to get wiped out now is the time to fast and so all everyone fasted I w- that wouldn't have occurred to me I wouldn't have done it that way but you see that was obviously the right thing to do so they all fasted and it wasn't a strike by the way don't think that okay God you know what we're not going to keep you if you don't if you're not even going to keep us alive we're not going to follow your way that wasn't it and therefore we're going to fast we're definitely not going to eat the muscles God forbid that wasn't it at all it was God we, we want to serve you all of our salvation comes from you but we're fasting right now because it looks like we're going to get wiped out so what can we do we have to fast okay so so the date that that Haman picked to wipe out the Jews was 11 months later 
Right? Keep this. So you have to absorb this. Otherwise, you're you're missing a lot of the story of Purim. In other words, Nisan is the first month. Adar is the last month. They find out the news in Nisan that the Jews are going to get wiped out in Adar, eleven months away. And they fa- as soon as they hear the news, they fast. Right, which makes the fast even more amazing because they could say, we have 11 months. Let's wait. We'll do the mitzvahs of, 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 of Pesach. Then right after Pesach, we'll do the fast. They didn't do that. Then what does Mordechai say to Esther? You have to go into the king. She says, but the king hasn't called me in 30 days. If I go in, there's a death penalty for anyone who goes in who hasn't been invited, who hasn't been there for 30 days. You know what she was saying to him? Not that I'm lazy, God forbid. Not that I'm afraid, God forbid. She's saying, what's the hurry? We've got 11 months until the decree where we're going to get wiped out. Let him call me in in the normal time. I'll go in. We'll talk. I'll see what I can do. So no, she risked her life. And back then, you know, King said, no, off with your head. Why, why is that such a cliché? Because kings used to say it all the time. <laughs> right? They were really into it. You know? <laughs> you call this asparagus? Off with your head. You know? I don't think it took a lot. So it entered into, you know, <laughs> it entered into the common lexicon, right? Because we were acutely aware that the king could say that at any moment. So it was a real thing. It was a real thing. So Esther, unbelievably, understands the wisdom of what Mordechai is saying. That if she's going to save everyone else, listen carefully, if she's going to save everyone else from a death sentence, she has to enter into a situation where she herself could die. So she does. And she goes in there. And the reversal takes place. And that reversal, that sudden reversal, and then we have the rest of the story with the, with the banquets and everything else, happens a, a couple of days later. It happens still during Pesach. The end of the story, the hanging of Haman, and the reversal of the decree, all happens, all happens during, during the Pesach that we celebrate. Excuse me. Now, it's really interesting, because Purim and Pesach, stand for two different aspects of chesed. Okay? Chesed is kindness. Now I'm drawing from Rabbi Wolfson. So, so, the, the zodiac sign, the mazel of, of Adar, is the fish. Right? Pisces. Popularly known as Pisces is, is Adar. Right? Usually it's in February. Okay, but we say it a little different. We call it the mazel of Adar is, is the fish okay why what's going on with the fish the fish is underwater the fish is completely hidden okay the miracle of Purim represents God's hidden chesed God's hidden kindness because the fish is not only hidden from view but he's completely sustained in a hidden way right he has his food underwater, he breathes and he lives underwater, totally out of eyesight. And remember, when the 
when, when, with the story of, 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 of Noah's Ark, right? Where the world is going to get wiped out and all the animals are getting wiped out and, and Noah takes representatives from all the animals. What's missing from the animals that he brings aboard the Ark is the fish. Because the fish were preserved from the destruction. Because the fish basically behaved. You know? The fish had it right. They didn't do what the other animals were doing. So, so they, 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 they were spared, okay? And you know, Shabbos, it's a holy custom to eat fish. So if you're into Shabbos and you're like, you know, you want to do it right, you have to have fish on Shabbos. In fact... You know, I think there was a Shabbos where we didn't have fish when I first got married and I was talking with my, my father-in-law, I should rest in peace, and he said, he was asking about Shabbos and somehow it came up we didn't have fish. And he said, he said, my uncle in, in World War II risked his life in order to get fish on Shabbos. So, you know, after you hear that, how can you have a Shabbos without fish, right? Not only that, but I heard from someone who was with the Umshin of a Rebbe on a Shabbos. They couldn't get the type of fish that he was accustomed to eat. They just had like a filter fish in like, a, I think a metal can or something like that. And it's like he kind of took one look at that and it was like, I don't know. It's not, it's not where I'm at, you know? So what did he do? What did he do during the time where he would ordinarily eat fish? He told Divrei Torah about fish. Okay? So fish, fish and Shabbos, it's, it's not a small thing. But anyway, let's get back to the point. The point is that uh, fish is the mazel, is the zodiac sign for Adar, and fish are hidden, just like God's kindness is hidden in Adar. And listen to this. Adar, the gematria of the numerical equivalent of Adar is Bechesed Mechusa, right? Which means the hiddenness of Chesed, right? It's the exact numerical equivalent of, of the word of, for the month of Adar, okay? So, you know, also, we have this idea of Adar and hiddenness, which is, and remind me later, if we have time to get to this, is this idea of Hester. Hester Aster. They say in the Megillah, where is, where is the reference? Where is the, the clue? Because, you know, historically speaking, the story of Purim happens after we close the five books. It happens hundreds of years later. And yet it's still a Torah holiday. So since everything is in the Torah, the sages of the Talmud say, where in, where in the Torah itself do you see a hint of Purim? So they say, Esther uh, correlates with Hester Aster Punim. It says that God is going to hide his face. Okay? So if you get into it a little bit more, I think we'll have some time. I'll, I'll try to squeeze it in right now. And then we'll get back to this. So you know something? There's, there's a double language of hiddenness. Hester, aster. That means God will be hidden in his hiddenness. So why are we, why are we repeating the notion of hiddenness twice here. Now listen to this. It's a little bit it's a little bit scary actually, I think. This is when when Hashem
Should I withdraw? This is the ultimate in my hiding. Even my hiddenness is going to be hidden. Alright, so now let me explain that to you. Let's say I say to you, you want something? I've hidden it in the house. Okay, so then what do you say? Okay, well, if it's hidden in the house, I know it's in the house, so I'm going to go and look for it. It might be hard to find, but I know it's there. I know it's hidden. I'm going to find it. Okay, but what if the hiddenness of something is hidden? That means not only is it hidden, but you don't even necessarily know that it's hidden. Which means you don't know necessarily to look for it. And that's the deepest form of exile. When something is missing, and you don't even know in your own life that it's missing. So how can you look for it? As my father often says, if there's going to be change in your personal life, in the world, it has to begin with insight. Without insight, there can't be any change. So if the hiddenness is hidden, then how do I even approach the ability to correct it? Ah, but you see, even there there's an antidote, right? Because we have Esther. And we have the story of not only things changing, but things changing right away. Right? Which is the concept of laughter, we were saying. Now, I want to connect it to something. It's a little bit of a separate topic, but it's something that I've been wanting to discuss, and we're ready to discuss it right now, and then we're going to get back into this and talk a little bit about Nisan. Because Nisan is this notion of revealed, revealed chesed. Okay? And the gematria, the gematria of, uh, of Nisan, listen to this, the month of Nisan, the gematria of Nisan is bechesed nigla, which means revealed chesed. Because in chesed, in Nisan rather, that's when the story of the Jews leaving Egypt takes place and you have all of the open miracles. Unbelievable, right? So you have the hiddenness of chesed, and then you have the revealed chesed. Alright? Now, there's one PS here, which is that, which is that in order to make that gematria work, there are, there are different systems of gematria. This is a gematria called kolel haosios, which means that you add one number for each of the letters. So in other words, Nisan is the word, is four letters, right? So you add the number four to Chesed Nigla, the Chesed Nigla, and then it works out. And the reason is because all miracles are contained within Nisan, because that's the capital of miracles. Now, as we've said before, each month has a different permutation of the Yudke Vavke. And the Yudke Vavke for Nisan is not mixed up at all. It's Yudke Vavke. In other words, it's the straight, highest, holiest name of God, right? Because in Nisan, there's utter clarity. It's just strength. So all miracles, all hidden miracles, have their place in the capital of miracles, which is Nisan, which is why you're doing this extra addition for each of the letters of Nisan, in order to to express that concept. Okay. Now I've got to tell you just a, an unbelievable minute. Maybe, uh, maybe you'll do this, a holy custom. Rabbi Wilson does this, which is, this is now the flip side of it. At, uh, at Purim, Purim is the hiddenness, right? It's the hiddenness of everything. 
So that's the, that's the other side. So at his Purim Suda, at his Purim feast, which by the way, because it's going to be the timetable now, Thursday night, remember you go hear the Gemara, this Thursday is a fast day, everyone should know, okay? Thursday night you hear the Megillah, Friday morning you have to hear the Megillah also, very important, that's actually the main Megillah reading, is Friday morning. Then you have your feast, you have to finish before like 1 o'clock, around, around there, so you start early, okay? Very important. And uh, his custom at his, his Purim feast would be he would sing songs from all the holidays of the year. So he would sing Hanukkah songs, he would sing Pesach songs. Why? Because all the hit, it's the hidden capital. So, so it's all hiding. So he would say all of the, the, he would mention all of the holidays there in the part of the Purim Suda. Okay. So now, you know, the history, the, his, the history of the Jewish people is really a, a remarkable history. And in every generation, they've tried to wipe us out and they use different techniques. Sometimes they use swords, and sometimes, sometimes they use flowers. And, and so we tend to romanticize, you know, the, the, the amazing sacrifices and, and acts of courage that uh, generations who have had to face things like gas chambers and things like that have gone through. And, and their courage is, I mean, you know, who might even discuss it? It's, 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 it's beyond, 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 right? It's the, the highest and the holiest. One of the repercussions, however, is that we who live in Los Angeles, who live in America today, can think, well, what's my challenge? Why am I worthy? And this is, remember we were discussing this a little bit at the end there. I want to talk about it now explicitly. Okay. So, what, what is my challenge? In other words, there's no, there's no act of, of, of heroics that has been uh, reserved for me in, in this generation. I'm basically, you know, I'm basically on the bench. I don't get to play with, 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 with the big boys, you know, in terms, of, in terms of history, in terms of really committing myself in, a, in an amazing real way. Okay. So now, that's not true. That's not true. There is an awesome, awesome, awesome challenge to us today. Incredible challenge. But it's not immediately obvious. And that hiddenness is part of its power, of it, part of its destructive power against us. So let me just explain it a little bit, and at least then we can have some insight into it, and then we can know that we can do something about it. Okay? Rabbi Green discusses something, and this is the terminology that he uses. He calls it script and anti-script. Okay? So let me explain to you what he means by that. A lot of people, they seem to be being uh, very independent people. You know something? I'm going to do my own thing. I hear what you're saying, but thank you very much, I'm doing my own thing. So what are they doing? What do they end up doing? They They end up doing the opposite of what you ask them to do. Now that's not independence. That's, that's called anti-script. Let me explain. In other words, it's not like I'm in control of my own destiny and I'm going to do what I want to do. What I'm doing is the opposite of what you're asking me to do. Which means that I'm not independent at all, am I? I'm still directly tied to you. I'm just going to do the opposite of what you're asking. 
Don't confuse that. Don't confuse the anti-script with independent thinking. That is not independent thinking. And almost everyone falls into this category. They're either towing the line or they're towing the opposite of the line. There's no free thinking going on. Or if there is, it's very rare. And most of the people who seem to be rebels or independent spirits, it's just anti-script. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. And if they think about it themselves, they'll see themselves that it's just anti-script. Okay, so what's freedom? What's the real thing? What's the real thing? So, so before we get to that, I, I, I need to develop this a little bit more. I, I once saw this insight. It really struck me deeply. It's such a simple thing, but that's its power. If someone, human nature, you're ready, just basic human nature, everyone will be able to I, I identify with this. If someone tells you to do something, you already have a negative attitude about it. Right? Someone says, you know, do this. You know, I, I don't want to do that. But I didn't even tell you what it is yet. <laughs> I know, but I don't want to do it. Alright, my favorite example, my favorite example of that is my son, when he was, my first son, when he was like, I don't know, he was young. He was less, probably one, less than one, I don't know what it is. But we wanted to give, he didn't want to try any new foods. We wanted it, you know, it was a big day, it was going to be a big treat. We decided, okay, today's the day he's going to get chocolate ice cream for the first time, right? So he looks at it, he's like, I don't want that. I'm like, it's chocolate ice cream. You know, he doesn't know what chocolate ice cream is. He just sees something gloopy and, uh. We're like, no, you don't understand. You will love this. But what's the problem? We're telling him to do something. So his automatic thing is, you know, it's like that's why, that's how a lot of people are with the mitzvahs. You know, you know, so, so it's like, you know, you don't understand. These mitzvahs, you want these mitzvahs. <laughs> you believe me, you want to live forever in utter bliss. You want to perfect the world. You want this. <coughs> you know, but what's the problem? People can, people translate mitzvahs as what? Commandments. Whoa! <laughs> Don't command me! <laughs> so what did we do? We took that spoonful of chocolate ice cream and we jammed it in his mouth. <laughs> and then he was like, ah, I want some more of that. <laughs> okay. So, so, if you force someone to do something, they will naturally not want to do it. Alright? Everyone hears that. Nations, nations throughout Jewish history have tried to force us not to keep the Torah. So what have we done? We're like, no, you don't understand. We are going to keep the Torah. Uh, we don't want you to keep the Torah. No Torah study, no, no brisses, no candle lighting, no, none of that. Okay, not only are we going to do it, but we're going to give up our lives to do it. You know, there will be rivers of blood, and there have been rivers of blood, Jewish blood, just because we, what did we want to do? We just wanted to learn some Torah. Right? 
Okay, so comes along the United States of America. Right? So a lot of times, now listen to this, a lot of times our performance of the mitzvahs came, and I'm not criticizing previous generations, God forbid, but I'm just giving you a psychological insight right now. A lot of times observance of the mitzvahs came from almost an anti-script level. You want to, don't do this. You're telling me not to do it? I'm going to do it. Okay, it's been deeper than that. God forbid. I don't want to belittle the, the holy observance of previous generations. God forbid. I'm not doing that. Okay. But what happens, here's a thought problem. What happens when a country comes who doesn't say you have to do this or you can't do that? What happens when the anti-script gets pulled away from you? What happens when the anti-script gets pulled away from you? And you're told, you know what? It's all good. Right? It's all good. It's all good. Everything's good. You want to do that? It's good. You want to do that? Great. You don't want to do that? Great. It's all good. Everything's equal. Everything's great. So where's my anti-script? Where's my instinctual power to say, you say no, I say yes. <coughs> All of a sudden I've been stripped of a very, very basic human component which has tied me to the Torah for thousands of years. Now all of a sudden something much deeper is required. Now all of a sudden I have to think about things. I have to give myself an education. I have to find out what's going on in the world. I have to make an active intelligent choice. I have to make an active step instead of just reacting my entire life. Wow. Well, wait a second. That requires a whole quantum level, new level of intellectual honesty, courage, perseverance, sweat. Wow. That's a whole different thing. Now, how many people are going to survive that? Well, you've got millions of people disappearing in terms of their observance today. And you had millions. You know, I, you know, the numbers speak for themselves. Millions of people. If you think that you're not in the middle of a giant test, a giant test, then you don't know what's going on in America today. You know, so so realize when you attend a, a, a talk like this or a, or, a, or a class or or you go to a bookstore, you read or you or you try or you or you think or you ask yourself the question, what am I doing here? What? Why is there a world? Why was I born? What's going on with all of this stuff? When you ask yourself those questions and you don't try to make up answers for yourself on the spot because you don't have to. You know, you've got generations and generations and we've got, we've got answers. We've got answers to questions, right? It's a real thing. It's a, it's a, it's, there's greatness in it, is what I'm saying. There's greatness in it. And just because it doesn't involve ducking under a 
a, a bullet that's whistling over your head or, or somehow you know you know hiding in a, in, a, in a cupboard don't think that there's any less heroism to it or any less greatness to it okay so we're just going to finish up right now just to understand this awesome thing you know I didn't have a chance to go into it but he says that that there have been that value because we have this concept of the shekel right and Adar the month that Purim comes in is, is where we collected the shekels the money for for the base of Mikdash but also it's the shekels that sort of like counteracted the shekels of, of Haman that he used to to buy the excuse me to buy the right to destroy the Jews and he says that there have been certain coinages that, that Abraham Avinu minted a coin and that Yeshua minted a coin when, when, when they went into Israel and that and that Mordecai minted a coin and that David HaMelech minted a coin and we didn't have a chance maybe we'll go into it uh, next week or at a, at a future time what this notion of, of these coins represents but I just want to touch on the coin of Abraham Avinu and the Gomorrah discusses this on one side it showed an older couple that's Abraham and Sarah right who were you know the ones who were spreading the word of God in the world and on the other and they're older and on the other side they're younger okay the same couple so what's the what's the depth behind this you would think okay so here's what they looked like when they were young here's what they looked like when they were old but that's not it that's not it it's the opposite of that remember Sarah gave birth when she's 90 Abraham was 99 so the proper order of reading the coin says the says the commentators is that first here's what they looked like when they were old and then in the time that it takes to flip a coin Nafahu all of a sudden they're young and and able to conceive again right in the flip of a moment right so it doesn't go from here's old no here's young and here's old that's not it here's old and here's young because that's the way God runs the world he flips it over in a second and we have to know that and we have to believe that and we have to not be discouraged by events if we don't see things gradually changing and evolving the way that we want we have to know our job is just to do the right thing and then God will turn over the world in an instant okay good for him good for him good for him
Thank you all so much for coming. Um, so, so there's so there's lots to discuss, and um, I think they're just the, the 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 material that that I came across this week that uh, Hashem just blessed me was 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 kind enough to 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 open my eyes to uh, is is really for me anyway very personally inspiring and 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 very very strong. And it, it touches upon really how God runs the world uh, in in the most amazing of ways, and it connects very much to uh, the holiday that's taking place this Thursday night to Purim. Good Purim. Good Purim. <laughs> All right, we'll tie that in also. <laughs> so everything connects. So so speaking of everything connecting. I'll tell you something, and uh, I'm just going to just introduce a concept to you and uh, tell you the truth. I don't really understand it completely myself, but it's very deep, and it's worth just kind of being familiar with it, okay? So after I tell you, we'll both be equal experts on the subject. <laughs> okay, so, so right now we're in the, the, uh, the, the month of Adar. Adar is it's the last month of the year. You know, a lot of people, this is a, a separate subject, but just to, to let you know, there's sort of like a common misunderstanding about the month of Tishrei, where Rosh Hashanah is. A lot of people think that Rosh Hashanah is the first month of the year. But Rosh Hashanah, because that's where the Jewish New Year is. Believe it or not, the Jewish New Year happens in the middle of the Jewish year. It's a very, it's a very fascinating sort of like paradox. But basically the idea is, if uh, we can just sort of cut to the chase on this, because it's not really our topic right now, but the idea is that you can bring newness even right when you're in the middle of something. A lot of people get to the middle of their lives. They say, I'm done. <laughs> it's over. You know, I'm just watching the clock right now. You know, so, so Judaism comes to tell you, no, every single moment, you might be right in the middle. Happy New Year. It's like, let's celebrate the New Year. Let's celebrate the newness, the beginning right now, no matter what stage in the process that you're in. So that's what that's coming to teach us. Okay, so a lot of people think that if, if, if Tishrei is happening in if Rosh Hashanah, if the New Year is happening in Tishrei, that must be the beginning of the year, which means that the month right before Tishrei, which is Elul, that must be the last month of the year. That's how most people think, but it's not the case. The first month of the year is Nisan. That's when Pesach happens, because that's the month of absolute miracles. Okay, open miracles. God begins the subject of time with the introduction of the concept of miracles. God says, you want to you wanna know how I run the world? Miracles. That's how I do it. Nothing's hard for me. I don't have to defeat nature. Nature works for me. It's all one. It's all one. But that means that if Nisan is the first month of the year, that means that Adar is the last month of the year. So that's where we are right now. So now listen to this concept. Very, very... Uh, very deep idea comes from the Sefer Yitzira, which uh, our sages tell us was written by Abraham Avinu, and this is like, you know, the Sefer Yitzira is the deepest. I mean, it's like it, it predates the Zohar. It's 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 like deep, 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 deep. It's got all the secrets of of the universe in it, basically. So so they talk about a house and a structure, and they say, and again, please forgive me because I don't pretend to understand what this means, but it. Well, we know just enough that, that, that it's worth saying. 
that that a structure has 12, like a rectangle, like this world is like a house, a structure, a box, a rectangle, has this idea of 12 sides connected to each other. Again, I don't know how this works exactly, but there's this concept of 12, and they're all touching each other, including the diagonals and things like this. I'll try to look into it a little bit more, but understand this, though. This we can get from it, which is that the essential structure of nature has to do with this number 12. And in fact, we see that there are 12 months to the year, and we see that there are 12 tribes um, of the Jewish people, which is sort of like these archetypes for all humanity. And we also have the notion of these 12 human faculties, which all correspond one per each month, which need fixing and have their time of ideal fixing. So Adar, which is the 12th month, is tapping into this notion of the entire structure and is therefore touching on, on the way the entire system works. Because the system is based on this number 12, and this is the 12th month. Okay, like I say, it's much deeper than that, but that's understand just now that we're in the month that's connecting to the blueprint of everything. That much, that much we can get at least from this, okay? Now listen to this. What is, the, what is the human faculty that corresponds to the month of Adar that needs to be fixing? So there are different accounts of this, but the most reliable uh, accounts really are, are, are the systems according to the, the Ari and to the Vilna Gon, and both of them agree that what needs fixing in the month of Adar is this mita, this quality of laughter. Okay? So laughter is connecting somehow, somehow the essence of laughter is connecting to the structure of the entire system. Okay? So we have to figure out exactly what is laughter, what is the essence of laughter, why do we laugh, how does this connect with the way God runs the world? How does this connect with Purim? Okay, we have to figure out all of these things. Now, I have to tell you right now that I'm basing most of what I'm saying right now on the words of Rabbi Moshe Shapiro. And I feel incredibly privileged to be able to be learning his words. He's one of the top, top, top thinkers uh, in the world today. And his... Uh, his weekly lectures are one of the most popular lectures in, in, in all of Israel. And they just started publishing his, his thoughts, uh, the weekly lectures. So these are now available. So, so it's, it's extraordinarily deep. I mean, this is like genius level stuff. And uh, the, way I, the way I think about it is, um, you know, uh, those of you who have studied a little bit of astronomy, there are certain stars that they, they, they collapse in and on themselves. Um, I believe they're called dwarf stars. And uh, I read in, a, I think this was in high school or maybe it was college, I don't remember exactly, but a teaspoon of one of these stars, I mean, they're so dense that a teaspoon weighs billions of pounds. Okay? So, so that's what, how I feel when, when, when I'm learning people like Rabbi Shapiro, Rabbi Wolfson, people like this, like these thoughts, if you could weigh them in a teaspoon, I mean, they're so dense. They're, they're billions of pounds. I mean, they're really, you know, you can really... Anyway, you can't get them all at once, but it, it, it pays to just to go over them and to think about them and to really try to internalize them and everything like that. But we'll, we, you know, like they say, every, 
journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step so we'll we'll take that single step today together okay so what is what is laughter so laughter is built on and I can tell you as I can speak as a professional here because I write comedy for a living so I can tell you that this is true this is not just from a an academic textbook laughter is based on reversal sharp sudden reversal you expect one thing and another thing comes and you laugh right the classic thing is someone with a tuxedo right looks very important and the next thing you know he gets a pie in his face well what's a pie doing in this important person's face you laugh right because you never put those two things together okay and the sharper and the faster the reversal the bigger the laugh usually and so a lot of times in terms of constructing comedy or whatever it is you, you build a system where, 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 the, where the changeover is, is unexpected but, 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 but it makes sense but it makes sense in other words like um, it can't come from out of nowhere it's got to be logical because otherwise you're just confused and as I learned in terms of one of the first lessons I learned in terms of comedy writing is that confusion is the enemy of humor because if have you ever ever had a joke explained to you right after you have the joke explained to you do you ever laugh <laughs> you go oh oh yeah, yeah. right 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 yeah because <laughs> you know? the sharpness the sharpness is gone you got to get it you got to get it and okay so it's got to make sense it's got to make sense but it's a reversal it's a fast reversal okay so now Rabbi Shapiro says something very very interesting he says he uses or the translator here uses the word inversion I I, I would use the word um, sudden change or, or flipping over okay but if I use the word inversion you know that um, I'm, I'm addressing the same concept okay so let me give you the two key words of Purim, which is, it says, benafahu. Okay, that's how you say it in Hebrew. It got flipped over. That's how, that's the language of, of the Megillah. Everything got flipped over. Okay? So, so, Rabbi Shapiro says something very interesting. He says that, that this flipping over is not change. It's not change. Now, let's, let, let's, let's try to understand what that means. In other words, when a situation reverses, okay, it's not that the situation has been changed. In other words, there was something that wasn't there before, and now it got changed, and now it's there. I don't know that we're communicating yet. In other words, in other words, uh, here, maybe maybe uh, I don't know if this will be a very good example but imagine you're making a recipe okay and the recipe seems like uh, that would taste that would taste terrible that would taste terrible right so um, so you know what you do you add an extra ingredient now it tastes very good okay so that that's not what we're talking about in other words that would constitute change because it's something different from what it was before okay 
So now let me give you an example. You take that same thing. Let's say it's um, let's say it's cold chicken soup, right? So you taste cold chicken soup. No one's going to want cold chicken soup, right? But you take that exact same thing. You haven't altered anything. It's the exact same ingredients, and you heat it up. Oh, this is delicious. Can I have some more of this? You understand? You understand the difference? In one situation, the essential, the essential components of it were altered, were changed. New things were added or taken away. In the other situation, which is the situation that we're talking about right now, it's the exact same thing. It just was flipped over. Okay? So that's what we're talking about. In other words, the way, the way change, this type of change works in reality is God takes the exact situation and He, without adding anything, without, He just changes the circumstances and that bad thing turns into a good thing. So the classic example is the curses of Bilaam. So Bilaam was like this master cursor, right? And King Balak says, okay, you're like, you're the man because the power of the Jews comes from prayer, which comes from the, the, the throat, the, the, the voice, the ability to express these things from the deepest aspects of your soul. So, so, so Moshe Rabbeinu, like, he, he prays, so we need someone who can speak like that and counteract it. We need a master at cursing. Right? So they bring Bilaam in, and Bilaam, every time he opens his mouth to give one of these, like, specialty curses, right? Because he knew, like, he knew God's timetable and things like that and knew the exact moment when to utter these words. That's what the sages say. So what happened was, here comes the master cursor, and he opens up his mouth, and blessings come out. Same person, same intentions, but all of a sudden these blessings come out. And he's not happy with it too, by the way. He goes, ah, you know. <laughs> he can't stand it. Some of our biggest, most treasured prayers, we say them every single day, come from these moments when Bilaam is getting ready to curse the Jewish people and out come the blessings. And it's great too, you know, just to watch it as just a study in, in, as a study in frustration. It's just great to read the, the, the account of Bilaam because he goes like this. And Balak, you know, who's his partner, you know, who's hiring him. The two of them are working together and they're trying to fix it. They go, okay, well, maybe we have to offer some more animals. Or maybe let's offer some animals over here to the left, you know? Like when you can just see the part of the Jewish people who maybe aren't behaving so well. Maybe we just focus on them or something like that. So they, they try every which way, but it, it, it fails every time. In fact, listen to this. One of the most amazing things, just while we're on the subject, is that uh, the clearest reference to Mashiach, to the holy Jewish Redeemer, right, which uh, signals the fixing and perfection of the world itself, comes from one of these occasions, comes from Bilaam himself. And it makes sense, it makes sense, and we're going to get into it a little bit more in a few minutes, because this notion of the perfection of the world is going to be this type of flipping over, this type of nafahu, right? So it makes sense that the revelation of this truth came from a person who himself was having this flipping over happening to him when he was trying to say something bad and only something good was coming out. In other words, they, they, they parallel. They're, they're, they're structural analogs, if you will. 
Okay. I haven't said that since high school. Um, <laughs> I don't remember, but I'm sure the teacher said, why are you saying this in the margin? 